Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview was a fascinating one. It was with a composer, which I think I've interviewed a couple of musicians over the years, certainly comedians and philosophers and social change advocates and so on, but not a composer, I don't think. Rolf Kent, who is an established and accomplished and I believe even celebrated composer for um, the, the work he's done on Alexander Payne's new film, Downsizing. You're going to find out why it is... Uh, Alexander Payne said to Rolf, just sound like yourself. He's got a real passion for music. We talk about composing melody and how we uh, avoid rigid course work and about creating chemistry and about how perspective is elusive and, and about uh, how composing well for characters is, is really about following a path. It's a journey. It's, it includes experimentation and, 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 and shapes and poetry and, and ideas existing in his head and how he gets those, uh, you know, through a translation process and, 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 and gets them onto paper and, more importantly, I guess, into uh, instruments and into other people's heads. He talks how he writes a lot while he walks and about what it means to be in motion. We talk, talk about something called unexpected texture as well. I think you're going to really enjoy this. This is about Alexander Payne's new film, Downsizing, starring Matt Damon and many others. It's coming out really soon. In fact, probably already is out. Check it out. You might see it at the Oscars. You might hear about it at the Oscars this year. And don't forget, davidpecklive.com for more information about my speaking and writing. And patreon.com. Please go there and, and check it out. If, if you like what I'm doing here, you can support what we're doing on a monthly or an annual basis. And I certainly would appreciate that, as would all of my listeners. And of course, rabble.ca for more information about other podcasting and other news and current events that matter. Check that out, rabble.ca. Coming right up, Rolf Kant, uh, about his uh, work on the film, the new film, the new Alexander Payne film, Downsizing. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here today. I've been really looking forward to this interview for quite some time. We've got a composer, a musician. Uh, Rolf Kant is joining us here today to talk about... uh, 
well, a whole lot of things, but about a film that he's he's been working on or has worked on, uh, Downsizing. Rolf, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. I think, you know, we... we, we I, I, Rolf, I was going to say, I feel like I know, I've known you for, for years. I mean, my, my father apparently grew up, uh, was it, did you say nine minutes away from where you live? Nine uh, miles? It's About nine miles, yeah. Nine miles. Isn't that, we share, we share a UK passport. This is, this is wonderful news. <laughs> Me sitting up here, just, just west of Toronto, you sitting in LA, and we both have a, uh, a UK heritage. Yes, thanks again for, for taking the time today. So, so I'm going to read a quote off your site, if that's okay. Kent's great gift, quote, is his timbral control. He mixes sound, colors beautifully, even allowing in moments of spoken voice that are so fleeting and subdued that they become another musical instrument, close quote. That is a beautiful quote. You're sitting there. The quote is next to you with a guitar and headphones and a, and a slew of instruments in the background. Can you tell me a little bit about mixing sound colors beautifully? What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, nice but, but, great start yeah well music is very intuitive um it sure is. mixing is is uh, i think mixing is pretty intuitive it's quite technical i mean all these all art forms are part technique uh you know te- partly technical partly um artistic um i i don't know what that really necessarily means um the the intuitive thing is you know, I mean, like, there's a reason that certain traditional um, uh, arrangement shapes exist because, mm. you know, that, uh, you know, bass, drums and guitar and voice, you know, they, those things surround each other in a certain way. And um, if you're going to do something with uh, sounds which are unusual, then you've simply got to find out what goes well with what and how you're going to how you're going to accomplish you know, a surround of the of a similar or or more interesting or more diverting quality. Um, so, so it's it's intuitive, but it's also you know I suppose there's an element of logic to it. You know, the 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 idea that you know you don't normally have two bass guitars in a band, and um, therefore right. if you're going to have um, you know a, a lovely bowed Indian instrument, then you, you know, you look for something that to contrast against it or something. But, um, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure how to talk about it other than, you know, it's, it's very much, you know, intu- intuition. Well, it, and it, is it fair? And I want to talk a little bit. I, I, I read your 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 bio with fascination, based on your past, your theological past, and your your non formal training, and and so on, and the fact that you come from a non musical family. I'd love to hear more about that and how that plays out. But there's a sense, I suppose, in which music is kind of mathematical, right? But yet, so not. Like there's a there's a way, I suppose, to represent it with numbers and and and, and graphs on the screen. But the decisions that really matter are things that you probably can't articulate that well in a a really explicit way. I've always been a little, uh, because it's a common argument that there is a a strong mathematics to music. And it may be that um, mathematicians uh, are often decent musicians and vice versa. I'm not sure. I don't really connect with that. Uh, I, I always like the idea, but I but but I really think about it. I mean, there, yes, there's there's you know we, we you have to be able to count and uh, right right and, yes we can assume that yeah and there there is a lot of um, you know when you're trying to figure out especially when you're trying to sort of match 
rhythms to images so that you've got a certain number of beats or how how you know how much are you music are you going to get in before this cut or this event and so there is definitely a mathematics to it but i think it's one of those things you know i recently realized um I got myself a tablet that I can uh, that I can use longhand on because I realized whenever it comes to writing, uh, there's a translation process. If I if I <clears throat> if I have a poetic idea in my head, and I type it, I might I, I if I have three lines of a po- you know of a of a, a verbal idea, I might remember two by the time I finish typing them. Right. But I remind, I might remember all of them by the time I finish write, uh, you know, longhand writing them. So there's definitely a translation process going on, isn't there? And in music, the same definitely applies. That you have this musical idea, but by the time you actually sort of figure out what the chords were on the piano or, or guitar or anything, um, and then if you had to also think of, figure out what the the rhythm was and what whether it was swung or not swung and you know all of that stuff. You know, I'm not Mozart. Mozart might have just thought that way. Um, right. For me, there's still a translation process. So, um, and there's definitely a mathematics to that. Um, the, the, you know, ideally, you get it so fluid and so fluent that um, you don't get stuck in the translation. But, you know, I, I think, I think it's very hard not to, to lose something in the translation every time. I mean, whenever I, you know, I go for walks. I love writing by walking. Um, <clears throat> Both both uh, story ideas, but and, and also melodic ideas, and um, because there's something about walking, being in motion, that supports the idea. When you when you're simply staring at a blank page, the the new idea feels very naked. Whereas when you're walking, uh, or there's there's a couple of other things that also help, but um, that makes it feel somehow like it isn't quite so naked, and therefore you 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 can have confidence in an idea. When you bring it back. And um, I might have hummed it onto my tele- onto my phone or something, and then you try and find out how that translates onto a keyboard, and so there's that translation process then. Um, but there's always, for me anyway, there's almost always a translation process where you. I love, I, yeah. I, I love the, I love the fact that you you find it more, uh, I don't know, creative, I suppose, or dynamic going for a walk. It's the, there's the rather than like you said, staring at a blank page. There's that. There's that sense of relationship and, and, oh, I don't know. There's just something about, there's something uh, that, that flows about that in a way that, you know, you know, sitting in front of a, a, a computer screen, I suppose, just doesn't. Well, it's also, uh, yeah, exactly. And the, you know, it's why singing in the shower works best. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's good. It's the combination of the reverb that the shower gives you straight away and the fact that, you know, all the noise, so it surrounds your idea. So that you've got to, you know, go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in the shower, that sounds full and rich and supported. And then you you come out of the shower and try and write that down. And you go, really, is that all I, is that all it was? And it suddenly <laughs> feels right. very naked again. Yeah. That's cool. Tell me about your early school teacher uh, who told you apparently not to, 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 I love the line, to avoid rigid coursework. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that actually, I would imagine, opened you up into this, you know, this beautiful, incredibly rewarding world that you've, you know, made a, 50, 50 films you've composed for. Is that right? At least, yeah. Um, the, uh, the, remarkable. Thank you. The um, the teacher, yeah, um, he was, uh, and still is, I, um, a really, uh, really nice 
teacher, I mean, a really nice guy. And he noticed that I cared about music. I was always playing music in the, uh, in, in the practice rooms. And uh, he taught me mu uh, music O-level, which in Britain at the time, that's what we did. It was um, O for ordinary. And um, that's <laughs> funny. No, well, it's literally because we had O levels and A levels. Um, oh, okay. They still have A levels for advanced, but the O levels um, have been replaced with GCSEs. And I'm not sure what that stands for. But anyway, the uh, so my music uh, education finished at about when I was 14, when I took the music O level and passed with a C grade. Um, but he observed in me my, you know, my passion for music and to told my parents that he didn't think I should take it um take the uh, the a level because he said that would it would kill my enthusiasm mm. and for someone to you know to sabotage their own department by losing <laughs> right. you know, another student um for the for the greater good for for you know for good reasons uh, i thought it was very very impressive and um it, it in no and it was also the way in which it was phrased uh, it in no way discouraged me from my interest in music. I mean, he could have said he's no good at music, <laughs> and, and that, right, right. And that would have been, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know that whether that would have really, really bothered me, but it would have not been helpful. But to say uh, his enthusiasm does not need to be, you know, the rigid structure that would kill his enthusiasm, um, I think that's uh, that was really a sweet and very constructive thing to do. Sounds like a pretty wise uh, teacher, and you know, had could sp speak moments of. I, hopefully, he spoke those kind of moments of profound wisdom into other students as well. But it's a, uh, it's. I think it's a remarkable thing to not only notice but to affirm and encourage as well. How did you know at such a young age? Like, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, is this? Are we talking? Okay, so maybe not. You know, leaning towards the mathematical and the music thing. Does that also mean that you're not, you know, a determinist in the sense that oh, gee, I was given this genetic musical gift. Or, or would you kind of fall in that kind of category? I uh, that space. Well, I don't know. By the way, I went back to see that teacher a few, uh, not very long ago, a few years. Oh ago, yeah. And uh, just to thank him. But to, oh, good for you, man. That's so cool. Thank him for, and I played him some of my scores, and he went, oh. <laughs> I did. He did. He didn't say I told you so, did he? No, no, no. But he said he said melody because it's so uh, no one writes melody anymore apparently. Um, and I like I, I, I vigorously compose melody. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't think I was determinist. I mean, at the age of fourteen, that, you know, I had I had numerous ambitions. Um, uh, I, I liked the idea of becoming a, a farm vet, really, just because I had um, read the James Herriot books, and I of course that seemed such a beautiful romantic life. I'm so glad I'm not a vet on a farm. Um, but uh, I, I did entertain that idea for a while. Uh, I think in order, and I think in order to become a vet, you need a, an education and a very large pair of rubber gloves. I believe that's all you need, isn't it? Well, and an ability to be be cheerfully ripped out into the cold every morning to deal with a you know lambing disaster or. Something. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's, it's actually in retrospect it sounds quite grim, but um, anyway, uh, there were various ambitions I had, but. So no, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't sure that I was hell bent on being a, a film composer, but I was inspired from the age of twelve. I thought film composing sounded like a very good direction, and and one of the reasons I pursued 
bands and uh, played in bands later on was you know I always had that in the in the background and I know this because um you know I I, I was be uh, one of my band colleagues one of my best friends would quote me saying well you're the one who wants to become a film composer and um so it was clearly always there and I had the extraordinary good fortune I mean, so it was yeah so in terms of answering your question it was um uh, no, I, I don't think it was sort of written in the genes, and I and I certainly didn't feel it. It, it, it wasn't a question of having to live up to something. Um, it, mm. it was always just. I've always been enthusiasm driven. I always think that uh, enthusiasm is the best, the best thing for you know for everything. I mean, if you can have great teachers in every field that fire your imagination and enthusiasm, then you'd have great. You'd have incredible people who you know, would be inspired by physics and mathematics and music and French and everything. And um, I, I wish I wish that for everybody. But uh, but my enthusiasm has always relentlessly pulled me towards music. Even when I thought I really wasn't that musical, I still, you know, discover that, no, that is still where the enthusiasm pulls me. It's beautiful. I love that phrase. What a beautiful title for something. Relentless enthusiasm. It's gorgeous. So, so clearly... I, I'm I just I'm marveling at how many films you you you've worked a lot. Let's let's talk maybe shift gears a tiny bit, but intimately connected, obviously, and talk a little bit about the film and 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 or or just composing for film in general because I find it really fascinating from a I guess a, a creative process. You know what where where where, who, where do you start? You know I I was thinking about this as I was preparing and, and and reflecting on on our conversation today and you know we talk about establishing shots in film do we do we talk about establishing sounds oh, and certainly yeah i bet and so you know it could it really i mean i'd love to hear your thoughts on that so so you've you've composed recently for for downsizing but but also you've worked quite intimately with alexander payne for quite a few years and so but anyway tell tell me more about 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 just you know no no pun intended but setting that tone in in a story the uh, the first film i did for alexander payne was really the you know perhaps it wasn't quite the first film i ever scored but it was nearly and uh it was he he simply said um just just i want i don't want you to sound like anybody else i just want you to sound like yourself and it completely floored me because um, up to that point, no one had ever asked me to do anything but um, sound like, you know, something. And uh, interesting. And I'd done a lot of uh, tons of short films, and yeah, this one's noir. Can you make it sounding jazzy and noir? And I go, sure, I can do that. And I do, do some research and make that. And this one needs a bossa nova. Can you write a bossa nova? And I go, sure, I can find out what that is and write that. And so, and here he is going. You know, find your own way. Be be yourself. And I go, God, I don't know what I am. I haven't right. here. So um, finding the tone for that first one, which was Citizen Ruth, um, that was mystifying and uh, quite a challenge. And and um, and I wasn't, even though I found a tone which I was very happy with. I didn't re initially recognize it as being me. I just thought it was the first thing I stumbled upon that kind of worked. And. Um, and worked very, you know, made me happy. It made everybody very content with the project. But um, I was, I didn't recognize that as in any way um, a tonal signature for myself. Hmm. And um, and I think partly, you know, in as much as I have a tonal signature, it's it's partly because of the 
because of that film and the films that followed. Um, you know, Hollywood wants to know you for one thing. They don't want you to, you know, they, they want who do we call when we have this kind of film so that you tend to get um, somewhat typecast. So, um, you know, I never, I didn't enter the, the, uh, the, the arena thinking I was going to do satires and comedies. Um, I thought I was going to do thrillers. And, um, uh, and yet, when you look at the 50 films, um, a somewhat disproportionate number of those will be satires and comedies. But, um, uh, and, and so the, the searching for a tone is, uh, the, but it's the same on any kind of film, whether it's a drama or a comedy. It's, it's trying to figure out what the film wants to be. There's also the fact that, um, and I'm sure people don't really realize this, is that the tone is, is substantially missing when the, before the music turns up. So, you know, everyone knows what a film feels like once they've seen it, but uh, what it would have been like if it had been scored differently is a right. completely different question. In fact, apparently, um, I never got to see it. I'm, I'm sorry I missed it, but... Um, uh, Soderbergh recently posted a, uh, or this year posted a version of Raiders of the Lost Ark using the score, replacing the score with the score to the social network. <laughs> so, so is that jo- that's John Williams to Trent Reznor, isn't it? That is John Williams to Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross, and the uh, his point, and it was also rendered into black and white, and his point was to show how great the editing was with um without all the showy music that highlighted it and um but you know i'm sure as i say i haven't seen that version but i'm sure the tone is uh probably very different and um so the the tone is largely or substantially invented by a composer. Now it may be that the director knows what the tone should be, right, and yep. uh, implants that idea in the composer's mind, uh, or or not. Sometimes the director doesn't know. And uh, well, it sounds like it sounds like Alexander gave you the freedom to to discover that on your own, which I think is a, a brilliant move on his part, but also probably quite risky. That's very much Alexander's approach, though. He he does like to surround himself with people he trusts, um, and mm. and challenge them to do their best work. And that is so. So, Rolf, yeah. do you do you read the do you read a does you know does he send you a script? Does he pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I'm thinking I've got this film, and let me tell you a little bit about it," and or or do you see the film and you sit down and you got fresh eyes and it's now I can now now you go for your walk and and you start you know or you have a shower and you start humming some of those. It's the last. Those, those, it's the latter, yeah. definitely the um. I I often get sent the screenplays, but they don't really um present you with the challenge they, they don't mm. present you with the canvas so interesting yep. there's, there's nothing to paint on i mean it's it's uh, right and uh canvas is probably a bad example maybe um you know it's, it's almost like putting tromploy in a um do you know, you, you know what tromploy is when you do this uh sort of fake architecture painted onto a wall of a building to make it seem like the building keeps on going behind the wall Yes. Yeah, it's hilarious. We were in Quebec City this summer. That's so funny. I was looking at some pictures with my son just a couple of days ago, and there's a shot with uh, uh, that image in the background on a building, and, and it looks like he's standing in, you know, in this sort of 3D-like setting. It's it's really quite exactly. peculiar. So, mm-hmm. so you can't 
start thinking up what the trompe-l'oeil is going to look like until you know what the building looks like. Right, right. And uh, that is absolutely the case with... So, so, so the image, the, the dialogue... The characters that that's that is your canvas. That is the structure. Well, yeah, because there are there, because timing is key, especially where if you want there to be humor or thrills, um, you you have to get the timing absolutely spot on. And sometimes the film has problems um, or has long boring sequences, and you want to find a way of making that more interesting and more engaging or more edgy. And um, you know, to be honest, uh, that, that that is sometimes in the screenplay, but there's no way of doing it until the music comes in. If you want a protracted sequence, a long sequence of someone sort of uh, coming into a house and creeping around and the creaks of the floorboards, and you, you want to build that sense of tension. And sometimes that is simply never going to be there until the music provides it. So it might be in the screenplay that this is a tense sequence building and building and building but um but it's not going to look like much unless the music's there so um a lot of those all those sort of tonal things and and quite often you you, you get asked to sort of solve problems you know there should be chemistry mm-hmm. between these two people why is there not chemistry and you figure out how to create chemistry with music and suddenly there it is but you wouldn't know that there wasn't chemistry from the screenplay because no one's acted it yet so good. I love it. I can't wait to ask you a, a question about some of your fav- favorite musical moments, but I want to I want to talk a little bit about about this film. I, I saw it at the the Toronto International Film Festival with Elizabeth, my wife, and I'm sorry we didn't get to cross paths there. It just it just we couldn't couldn't make it work out. But I remember coming out of Downsizing and and really loving it and and finding it to be absurd and funny and peculiar and it's an environmental film and it's all these things and I remember walking back to the car and saying to film you know what it's a disaster film and it, it, it struck me you know that it's, it's got this dystopic kind of edge it's, it's the end of the world if we, we're so screwed if we don't get this stuff sorted out it was like this and, and I wonder to what degree you know it's just so and this is one of the reasons I just so love and I'm so passionate about film because the way that, that the story is told it's just working on so many levels and, 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 and your music played a part in, in, in me having that, that, that moment, that shock of recognition. And I think it's really quite remarkable, uh, uh, the, the, the collaborative process and, 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 and your, mu- I mean, you tell me about the way you compose the music for the film, but I mean, there's comedic moments, there's absurd moments, there's, you know, uh, the serious moments and, and, and it's, uh, yeah, really, really quite remarkable. Well, good. Thank you. Um, it's quite a Picaresque film, by which I mean it, it. It happens in in sort of in chapters more than a piece. Yes, and the music music sometimes occurs in that way as well. I mean, there there are three there are definitely melodic themes that sort of are threaded all the way through, um, but there are also you know elements which really only occur in single chapters. So you know the whole downsizing procedure is a big musical um, occasion with. Uh, I think it's about eight and a half minutes of th- through scored film, um, which may not sound much, like much to to you, but um, but in terms of scoring um, a, f- a film, is actually quite a long sequence, and um, uh, with a very strong theme, which I don't think ever recurs in the film because it's it's really all about that one moment. Um, right. But um, uh, yeah, 
yeah what 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 um i'm i'm running out of my thread what? no no it's okay i mean i it's yeah i don't know what the thread really is myself but i just i i think i'm 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 really struck by uh the the, the I'm, i think i am struck by the thread you know and I, and i actually i made notes on the film and one of the thoughts i made i, I had written down scribbled down you know in the darkness of the theater was that the music felt to me like uh in certain points anyway chapter headings as if you were taking us into different you know, parts of, of, of what's his name? Sophronic uh, of, of, of his life, of Matt Damon's character's life. I mean, it really is a, a an existential crisis this guy's going through. And, 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 and that's where I think I really saw some of that dystopic edge. Do you, do you think it's a science fiction film? Well, it's, it, you know, no, I mean, like, of course the technology it talks about does not exist. So to that degree, right. it's science fiction. But I think when people, I think I think it's not particularly helpful to call it a science fiction film because uh, it it creates all sorts of expectations which um, are not satisfied by uh, the yeah I mean, it's just it's I think when normally when we say science fiction we mean something else and um, so uh, but I, I do find that and I, th- I think this is a thread in all Alexander's films is they're very much about humanity and um, and a certain and different perspectives on humanity. And um, sometimes, you know, looking at humanity from from way above, just going, what a concept, you know, what are they up to? And to a degree, this film does that. But it's but it's uh, I think the way it impacted the, the the music or the way the music sort of was drawn into the equation was um, that there are there are all these uh, huge things going on. Um, this global climate change. Um, and then within the conceit of the film, there is this technological process where, by which people are shrunk to being five inches tall. So there are these sort of massive sort of external things happening. And within all of this, we have humanity. And we're, right. and we're trying to we both make sense of it. And we're also trying to identify with the characters who are trying to make sense of it. And, um, and in, the, you know, in the heart of this film, we have this uh, lovely um, Midwestern character who's uh who's smart but a bit of a dope in in other ways um, right. and so we have this dopey theme this sort of cheerful right. buoyant which is a very whistleable whistleable little tune it's, it's pretty much the first thing i wrote and um uh, and it immediately stuck to picture and it, we, we we see it at the very beginning of the film when we see matt damon as paul safranik um, or Saffronic. I always Saffronic. They, they always pronounce it. Yeah, it's supposed to be Saffronic. Everybody pronounce. Everyone pronounces his name wrong, which for me was just a hysterical, and b isn't that kind of that's the existential crisis, yeah. right? Yeah. I think, and and I think that from from my take on on Alexander Payne's films and Sideways is one of my faves of all time. Right. There's that. There is that. You know, who am I, and where am I going, and how am I going to get there, and what I. What I love is that it's always in in and through relationship that we get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 at the by the end, you know, he's turned that corner and he's actually become more. He's become purposeful, authoritative. Yes. If if only for a moment. I mean, it's it's, yes. it's very brief, but um, but you see it. You see it at the end, and and so his tune comes back, but. It may not be recognizable anymore because it's now instead of being played on a whistle, it's being played by a symphony orchestra. And um, but it was very much 
one of those sort of, uh, to my mind, it was one of those uh, Ennio Morricone kind of opportunities to to be sort of um, uh, sort of big and um, melodic at the very end. And uh, to be honest, I, I wrote a much bigger version, you know, and um, and uh, I got asked to scale it down. <laughs> I, I, oh, oh, that's funny. I, I went very big. I went, this is the beautiful. This is the uh, cinematic, you know, the right. thing and. Um, Going, yeah, you're too big. You've gone too big, Rolf. Turn it, <laughs> bring it back. So I used to have all the brass and all the woodwind and everybody. And really, I ended up just with, um, I think, flute and, and strings. But it still, it still has that magic majesty and that um, that sort of mature authority that it absolutely doesn't have at the beginning. Um, I, yeah. I, tra- I, I travel a fair bit to uh, Cambodia, to Southeast Asia, and I've seen some really interesting and, and peculiar instruments, of, or at least what I would call peculiar, Cambodians wouldn't, of course, um, that, that can create some very interesting sounds to the Western ear, to the English, to the, the, you know, the, guy, the guy who's got roots in Luton, to his ear. Um, what, what are some of your faves, uh, some, some of the instruments that you compose with? And I think the other question I'm fascinated or interested to hear about is, do you sit down at the keyboard first? Or do you go to a, a stringed instrument? Is it a guitar? Is it a is it a piccolo? Where where do you go first? Oh well, firstly, I've just picked up this instrument. I have no idea. I think it's Indonesian. It's got three strings. I <laughs> hang on a minute. You're the musician. What are you talking about? That's so. I have no idea what it's called. <laughs> I call it twaki. Twaki. Yeah, and. Um, it, it features on uh, quite a few scores, actually. I really like nice. it. Um, and I believe it's Indonesian. My brother brought it to me when, when he was traveling around the world uh, in one of those once-in-a-lifetime yes. trips. And um, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, you you might look at it and know what it is. Um, I, I look at it and I know it's twaki. That's all I- is, is it kind of Is it kind of coconut-shaped like on one end? Uh, maybe maybe like a leather or an animal skin, and then you got your three strings up along, sort of wooden, almost like a guitar, sort of. Yes, it's much smaller, <laughs> much smaller than a coconut. Um, and it's, I oh, okay. and it may be a okay. snake skin. Uh, could, cover. Be, could be snake skin. Yeah, um, yeah. I bet I, 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 I certainly sounds like I've 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 seen and heard those types of instruments before, but it's very distinctive, very unique, right? Absolutely. Um, uh, as regards process, if I'm not walking and humming, then I'm, uh, I move around. I, I definitely start at the keyboard and, uh, then when I'm frustrated and, uh, realize that everything I'm doing is rubbish, then I will, uh, switch to guitar or, or voice or violin or, um, occasionally wind instruments. Um, for me- melody, the melodica is phenomenal and, uh, hmm. It's it's a great idea to move between instruments because they just do different things. So it's you, one's very unlikely to do lots of repeated notes on a piano because it's boring. Uh, right. But uh, lots of repeated notes on a voice is perfectly fine. You can you know you're not going to go ding 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 ding, but you might go mi apilaso and um, and then change, and it makes much more sense. You go mi apilaso. Whereas ding, 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 doesn't sound like it was very clever writing. So um, the, the instrument you uh, screw around on changes the kind of writing one's likely to do. And, and we, and we kind of come full circle almost, and we're talking 
I mean, you tell me you're the musician, but we're talking about tone again, right? And I mean, we're talking about tone of the film and, and, and the image and the lighting and the cinematography. Again, I'm just, I marvel at the, the collaborative nature of, of connecting all those dots. And isn't, you know, and maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, but isn't that what we're all trying to do existentially as well, right? As we, you know, uh, I've, I've studied philosophy for years and Kierkegaard talks about, as my listener will know, will, will know I've, I've quoted this before, but, you know, you, you step into the future, that's the only way you can live and then the only way you understand is when you start to look back and you see the you know you see the thread right and i bet i would imagine tell me if i'm wrong here but i would imagine you finish a film and watch a film and go wow i didn't quite see that connection before but it you know it oh, well, kind of makes perspective is everything isn't it and mm. uh and it's it's perspective is very elusive and um and i think you know the, uh, sometimes i think one wants to keep perspective as best one can all the time but but actually i don't think that is true i think it's it's at least not to get this kind of work done it's good to sort of just bury oneself in it and then and then step back i don't know if it's actually possible to be as committed and wholehearted in the work if one maintains perspective all the time it is it is a balance of um losing yourself to it and then pulling out and looking at it i mean there's a, there's a thing i i'm really bad at this and i'm um, trying to get better which is it's which is simply watching the whole film with the music that I've cut, uh, that I've done so far. And, um, and, uh, cause, because I would rather be writing than watching, than watching a playback. Mm-hmm. And, um, because it always seems like time is, time is wasting if I'm simply watching, not writing. But the fact is that when you watch, you see it in perspective and then you just go, Oh God, what was th- yeah, that piece of music? It felt great when you, when I was writing the piece of music itself, but when you see right. context, it doesn't belong there at all. It's the right. it's far too busy or noisy or something. So, um, but you can't really commit to a. I, I tend to, you know, I, I get very involved in the emotions of the the music I'm writing, and I and I like that. I think it's a good thing to really believe in that moment. And so, you know, in in composing, sometimes. You know, I haven't written this, the music for this scene, but I will, I will watch it and connect with the emotion and then really feel the emotion, like sort of pull it up and, and, and let it well up. And then I will uh, compose the music that goes with what I've just felt. And, um, and that's a complete loss of overall perspective and a mm. commitment to that moment. But I think it's, it's one of the most effective ways of writing uh, emotionally connecting music. It's listen, Rolf. I could I could talk to you all uh, all evening, man. It's just fantastic. I've, I've so enjoyed our conversation. Gonna gonna have to wrap it up here in in a couple of minutes, I think. Sadly, but there's a there's a. I mean, for me, downsizing is 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 like any any pretty much any film I watch, docu- documentary. Uh, narrative it's about so much more than than what you're seeing on screen there's so much more going on than meets the eye and there's there's a little uh piece at the end and it's it's when he's walking i think down the tunnel and he's going through that decision process Sophronic's character matt damon matt, sorry matt damon's character and and, and wondering where he's going to go and the music's marvelous by the way like just remarkable Thanks. and 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 there's something about memory there and i think and i can't remember her her name right now off the top of my head that's horrible but the woman he's falling in love with uh, and trying thank you and and he says or she says something to the effect of once he's come words not matter 
remember me before he walks in. And for me, that, that, that's, that's the power of music, right? I mean, it's like the power of a, a smell or a, it, draw, it, it pulls you back into something in a way that, you know, I guess to Steven Soderbergh's point about, you know, scoring Raiders of the Lost Ark with a, you know, just, just cha- changes everything. Well, that was, cha- changes it, right? Yeah, well, actually, that's a very interesting moment because uh, people were a little unclear as to why he makes the decision he makes. And I said, well, mm. why don't we let them know by echoing her, her theme so strongly that uh, nice. you, you get the sense that, you know, it's her that is, is making him make that decision. And um, so it was it was a way of assist, de- definitively assisting the narrative and the way the narrative. Lasts. Yeah, so great. I'm, get, I'm honestly, Rolf, I'm getting goosebumps. No kidding. It's, fin- it's fantastic. Rolf, what a what a pleasure chatting with you. Take can can you talk about what your next project is just before we wrap? Uh, well, right now, yes, I'm I'm writing a uh, writing music for uh, and producing a piece of immersive theater. Um, wow, yeah, which is uh, an intriguing challenge and um, should be great fun. I love theater and um, uh, the the recent sort of blossoming of immersive in London and New York and now in Los Angeles uh, just seemed like there should be music in in this this you know field and so uh i'm well what a what a what a world it would be without it well <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly can we uh you're, you've got a website rolfkent.com yep people can find out more about you they can listen uh you've got some sa- samples there about your bio film they can contact you and i'm sure we're going to hear more about your immersive uh, piece of theater there uh we've been talking to rolf kent today about uh music composition existentialism and 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 I, I would think becoming becoming better humans as well rolf thanks so much for your time today Thank i really you. really appreciate it lovely lovely talking to you imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you Acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.